Hey everyone, uh, welcome to Promethean Tides uh, on the 21st of May 2022. I am General, and uh, hello, Breaker. Oh, hello, General Chief. Oh, I'm already offended. Everything, everywhere, all at the once. Oh. <laughs> did you uh, did you finally get around to seeing that movie? Uh, it's still not available on Amazon, unfortunately. But when I do, I'll definitely will because I've heard several people like critically praise the movie, including you. So, yeah, uh, absolutely genius film. Uh, I saw it like maybe a, a month ago. It was like when it first came came into theaters, and uh, I, uh, besides, uh, of course, Fight Club, uh, best movie I think I've I've ever seen, and I've I've seen a lot of movies. Uh, it uh, it even beats out. Um, uh, like the, uh, uh, it beats out uh, all the other movies, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I also saw, uh, Doctor Strange, and for a Mar Marvel movie, uh, Marvel movies are usually kind of shit, but that one wasn't bad. Uh, the worst thing about that was freaking America Chavez and her magic star powers. Uh, that's true, but, you know, um, she can make portals, so that makes her pretty powerful, I, I guess. I suppose, and then when you take into consideration that character only exists as like a progressive, like cult of rainbow people, if you and middle finger, the comic book aficionados, you know, there you go. Don't forget about her lesbian moms on the lesbian planet of all lesbians, and somehow they managed to reproduce. I don't know. You're the biologist. You figure that one out. <laughs> Uh, well, you see, Breaker, um, the, the, one of them has a penis. They didn't show their genitals, okay? Everyone has breasts on that planet, but one of them has a penis. It's simple. I explained it. You know what? I wouldn't be adverse to the idea of an all-feminine hermaphrodite world, but somehow I'm not entirely sure that that's what they're going for, but biologically speaking, that's the only way it makes sense. I think you're right. Honestly, you know what? If if everyone just like uh, looked like a girl and had boobs, I think uh, the world would be a more beautiful place. I I think about that sometimes because in a hermaphroditically reproducing species of that level of intelligence, like comparable to human intelligence, wouldn't their their culture and their language be really radically? different from anything essentially like wouldn't all their motivations stem from different origins than what we could even comprehend <laughs> um i mean if you think about it uh maybe maybe they lived through a time of famine where there like wasn't a lot of food available so um both sexes would have to develop breasts in order to feed the baby because they would have to share the responsibility or whatever. Maybe that's what happened, you know? Mm. Well, anyway. Well, technically, humans kind of have like a vestigial version of that because men have nipples. Um, men only have nipples because women need them. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the, the nipples uh, develop prior to um, the sexual differentiation. Um, and so because it occurs in that order... Um, Men have nipples as well, and they're completely useless. But, you know, you would look kind of weird if you had no nipples, so I guess there's that. 
Uh, Unless it was a non-mammalian species. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, it is just mammals that have mammary glands. That's true. Uh, but anyway, uh, so we had uh, a few interesting uh, uh, pieces uh, in the news. So uh, I guess uh, first thing is that uh, apparently BLM has spent some money uh, rather carelessly, um, and perhaps even worse than carelessly, potentially fraudulently. Uh, so that was a thing. Um, I don't personally care that much because, <clears throat> uh, from from my perspective, it's like if if you're dumb enough to actually give money to BLM in the first place, then don't be surprised if it doesn't go towards anything useful. Like that's just, I mean, that should be obvious. Uh, so I mean, I didn't give any money to them, so I'm it doesn't affect me. I don't really care. But uh, I, you know that that is something that um was brought up uh, in the news this week. Uh, shocking that the like neo-Marxist in its origins organization known as Black Lives Matter was just a bunch of shysters and grifters the entire time looking to make a quick buck. I'm, I'm personally shocked and appalled. I did not see this coming. Like, how could this have happened? How could uh, how could the self-titled Marxist group not engage uh, uh, in 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 Marxist behavior? I mean, clearly they're not uh, trying to uh, help the workers seize the means of production. Uh, I I don't understand what's going on. It's very confusing. My God. Well, if we use the historical examples of Marxism, this actually falls perfectly in line because the elite Marxists just become rich fat cats and everyone else eats cake. You see it in Cuba, the Soviet Union, Mao, China. I mean, actually, if anything, this is perfectly in line with historical examples of Marxism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is actually this. It's just them practicing peak Marxism. They're they're doing it great. Uh, I I actually uh, I, I got into a into an argument uh, earlier this week uh, with a with a couple of uh, communists and um, I was just trying to tell them that I thought that uh, Nazi Germany um, was uh, a socialist uh, state like it's it's clearly socialist uh, you know um, Nazi is short for national socialist. Uh, and if you look up the definition of socialism in both the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary and the Oxford English uh, Dictionary, um, the definition of socialism is just the government owning the means of production. And as far as my knowledge takes me, um, Nazi Germany was very much a place where the government owned a lot of means of production, um, uh, both uh, directly and indirectly. Uh, so uh, it's, it's, it was clearly a socialist state. But these communists, they didn't want to um, admit that because it makes socialism sound bad. So they can't just, you know, agree to something like that. Uh, very, uh, very interesting argument. Mm, well, you know, anything involving 1940s mustache man is just de facto evil. So if they think something is good like socialism, then in that Venn diagram hit must necessarily not overlap with 1940s mustache man <laughs> that's just how the logic works oh. now, that doesn't sound like it makes a lot of logical sense actually but this is like left logic not actual logic no no it's it, it it makes total sense you see um you have good thing and then you have bad man bad man cannot be connected to good thing it just okay it's simple uh 
very Orwellian, actually. It's like socialism double plus good. Mustache man on good. Yeah, yeah, I mean, basically. Uh, I, I tried pointing out to them that uh, obviously, you know, Nazi Germany was not a communist socialist state. Um, like, you can have different forms of socialism. Uh, you can have non-communist socialism. Like, you could, you could totally do that. Uh, but... Uh, I don't think that they see it that way. I think that they see socialism as the Marxist um, prequel to the uh, fully luxurated, fully automated luxury gay space communism that they would like to achieve. And so socialism has to be part of that line, and no one else is allowed to have it, I guess. I was reading some Slavoj Žižak's recently, The Supreme Object of Ideology, and he was talking about money in his definition is kind of like this synthetic, artificial convention that people just agree upon, but it in and of itself is this eternal and unchanging thing, and you merely participate in the essential form of money. <laughs> it's pretty convoluted. If anyone wants to read it anytime. It's a slog. The essential form of money. Um, money represents uh, uh, theoretical, uh, theoretical value um, that allows you to more efficiently barter items because you don't have to uh, specifically trade. Like, like let, let's say that um, uh, let's say that I want a shoe, and and you have uh, and and I and uh, I let's say I have a shoe. No, okay. Uh, let's say that I have a shoe, and you want a shoe. Uh, okay, all right. Uh, the, 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 this, is, this is maybe not the best metaphor. The point is, is that it, m money, money is uh, it's, it's a more efficient way of bargaining, because it's possible that the person that you're trying to trade with doesn't want, want what you have to trade, and so uh, instead of like having to trade with another guy so that you can trade with the first guy, it's more efficient to just give him money so that he can go get the fucking thing himself. That is all money is. Yeah, I think that's why he likens the concept of money to like a platonic form, because money is like this ultimate blank space where you can insert like any tangible thing of value into that blank space and say, my shoe costs, I don't know, $10. True, true. Um, although yeah. money money cannot buy all things. It can buy a lot, but there are some things that cannot be purchased with uh, cash. Like so, your immortal soul. Well, yeah, like that. I was going to say, like, um, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk are both um, just basically infinitely wealthy. Uh, but uh, when it comes to uh, public influence, Elon Musk clearly has more. And, like, that's not a thing that, that Jeff Bezos can just purchase. I, I'm sure that if he could, he would, but it's very difficult for him to be popular um, amongst uh, the, the masses because he's just unlikable. I can see your point on that. <laughs> uh, okay, so, yeah, um, uh, apparently uh, BLM, uh, not good with money, um... Potentially fraudulent. Uh, I guess we'll we'll find out what happens with that. Uh, also, the uh, the Ministry of Truth, uh, uh, also known as uh, the 
Department of Disinformation is, uh, or no, it's actually called the Disinformation Governance Board. Uh, it has been put on indefinite uh, uh, hold, uh, and the uh, lovely uh, show, uh, show tune singer uh, Nina Jankowicz uh, has stepped down. Um, of course, uh, uh, the, the cause of this is actually um, disinformation. Uh, you see, uh, Breaker, uh, the left was, was throwing so much disinformation at this disinformation board that they couldn't stand its disinformation and they had to shut down their disinformation because of too much um, disinformation. So, uh, yeah, I guess that's the way the cookie crumbles. That's like the original radio telescope, if you remember that. Like, they made this telescope to define, like, to find radiation and radiating bodies in the universe. But when they turned it on, it was just this nonstop wash of white noise. And that's when they realized that everything was producing radiation in a constant state of decay. <laughs> no, I didn't, I didn't know that. That's, a, that's an interesting old story. I, our, our society is so permeated with disinformation on every level that the second the disinformation governance board came online, it was just overloaded and exploded. Well, okay, hold on, Breaker. You see, um, the Earth is uh, radio radioactive. It does radiate. Uh, it has uranium, and also it releases a lot of uh, infrared radiation. Um, but compared to the sun, you know, the Earth is basically um, like a completely dead rock. Uh, because, you know, the sun just radiates a whole bunch more. So I think that really what's going on is that, you know, the, the left is like the earth, right? Like it, it has a little bit of disinformation, but it's mostly truthful. Whereas the right, it's a, it's the shining, uh, 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 fusion bomb of, uh, of, of, uh, disinformation. And so they just couldn't handle how much just sheer disinformation is constantly coming out of the right and never out of the left. So they, they had to shut it down. It's really quite a sad story if you think about it. It's like a white hot dynamo of constant lies and deceptions and everyone on the right is constantly trying to destroy the left at all angles and they just hate the left so much that they just want them to die because they're devoid of any human sympathy or compassion. I know this is true because the man with the beard on the internet told me. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. The you know the the thing is is that you know I, I don't know if I've ever heard anything truthful come out of the coming out of the right. I mean, uh, I'll tell you what. When you talk about when you want to talk about people that are devoid of principles, that is definitely the right to a T. Of course, yeah. Now you're starting to understand. You'll you'll fit right in with the uh, the post disinformation paradigm that we're quickly entering. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we live in a fun world. Uh, and then, uh, apparently it's, it's, it's a bit unclear if, uh, if Elon Musk is actually going to be purchasing Twitter. Uh, I think that they came out and they said that only 5% of accounts are, uh, uh, bots. And then I think Elon Musk, uh, he was, he was, give, he was talking to some people or giving a talk and, um. And uh, he said, only 5% of, of the accounts on Twitter are bots. Does does anyone feel that this is true? Like, is this anyone's experience? Uh, and I, I think that he, uh, either he or someone else said that it's more likely that it's more like 20% of all accounts are bots. Uh, so, 
I guess that uh, this could be a move for uh, uh, to to try to get Twitter at a cheaper price than um, uh, $54.20. Uh, perhaps Elon could bring it down to more like uh, $44.20. I'm not really sure. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, uh, uh, that's just the continued story of Elon Musk and Twitter. Of course, the uh, there have been uh, a lot of news outlets that are trying to make everyone care all of a sudden, even though they don't, uh, about him uh, allegedly uh, doing something uh, inappropriate with a with a flight attendant um, back in 2016. Uh, I don't know the full details of the story, uh, mostly because I don't care, and I wish the news would stop trying to make me care. You see, the thing, what, what Elon did that was so horrible was, unbeknownst to us, he's actually already invented time travel. And what he did with the 2016 flight attendant, you see, he went back in time, and he whispered very softly in her ear on the plane, and he said, Did you know that Twitter's 5% bot number was drawn from a 100-account sample size? Therefore violating his NDA and causing a whole bunch of problems, which Twitter is now very angry at. Oh, fuck, that would violate his NDA. I didn't even think about that. Oh, rough news for Elon. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's like the worst part of that whole story I just told, obviously. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, they, they literally, that 5% of Twitter is bot's number was literally, the sample size was 100 accounts. And out of those five accounts, five were bots. Now, if you... If you, like, stretch that out, if, that, if that's the example we're being given by Twitter officially, according to Elon Musk, and you know it's official because they're pissed off at him and suing him over violating the NDA, just stretch that number out to the millions upon millions of accounts on Twitter, and that number becomes a lot fucking bigger. Well, so, uh, I think that they might have... If I, if I remember correctly, I could, be, I could be incorrect about this, but they did a hundred user um sample size but they did it multiple times so they would have like many baskets of 100 users each now my uh, uh my only question is um was there any selection parameter when it came to finding these users right because let's say that i i do a search and i get a hundred i get a hundred random users and they are random totally random but um, my search parameter excludes people with less than two followers. Well, in in that case, I'm going to wind up with significantly less bots. If I if I just did a completely pure search and had no selection parameters, maybe that number would tick up. So I'm not actually sure uh, the 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 methodology that Twitter used to do these um, uh, hundred user uh, baskets. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I'll, I will tell you one thing that I do know from personal experience on Twitter is that I've noticed an uptick over the past, like, uh, let's say, three or four years. I've noticed a severe uptick in the amount of annoying spam bot accounts in my freaking DMs just sending me, like, random crap messages. Like, hey, some are just written in Korean and Chinese and Japanese, and I have no idea what that is. Others are, like... They have the account has an Arabic name, but then it puts an ad for like hot single girls in your area. That's like the classic spam email 
bullshit bot things like, oh, not this again for the thousandth time. Go away. Okay, now here's the thing. I have never clicked on the hot, um, the hot single girls in your area ads. But, Nor should you. Okay, but what if, Breaker, what if, what if you click on them and it actually takes, to, it takes you to a hot single girl? You know, I've never tried it, so maybe it's legit. You know, I don't know. I can't know until I, I click on one of those. Maybe that's the secret of finding hot single girls. Maybe the hot single girls are so smart that they, like, flood all of the emails and Twitter accounts with, like, hey, hot single girls in your area to the point where no one trusts them anymore. So they never click on them. So they, they get to keep all their single girl hotness to themselves because no one actually clicks on them. Ah, they're, they're fucking hoarding their single hotness. God damn it. It's like a meta-modernist ironic ploy to like stop themselves from being like horned on the market, I guess. <laughs> well, 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 now they have OnlyFans, so I don't know how valid my theory would be, but I'm sticking to it, damn it. Yeah, I, uh, you know, the the issue with with the with the the OnlyFans is that they they may be hot, but uh, they're seldom single and they're rarely in your area. So you know, it's it's not it's not quite the same. Well, you see, like, according to the mighty Christian, um, there's something known as the infinitely high boyfriend factor. Oh. So basically, if you ask any of these single girls, they'll, they will say that they have a boyfriend just to get rid of your autistic ass. <laughs> Wait, are you, are you telling me that, that, that women w are, are rejecting Christian? I, come on, he has so much to offer. He's, he's famous. Um, the infinitely high boyfriend factor. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> That's how that works! <laughs> uh, that, that, that poor guy, man. I, I, uh, I sort of kind of feel for him, maybe, but not really. Because uh, he, he is, he is clearly autistic, and, like, that's bad, but also he is a raging narcissist. Uh, so, in, in case anyone doesn't know who, who Chris Chan is, this is, a. Uh, uh, a a legend on the internet, uh, and uh, just uh, give him a, a Google search. He's uh, probably one of the most interesting people uh, to to exist. Uh, and uh, places like 4chan used to absolutely love him, uh, although nowadays 4chan is not quite what it it used to be. Christian, the most interesting man in the world. I would love to fucking. I, I I would love to grab a beer with that guy. Like I think it would be the. I it wouldn't be pleasant. I don't think, but it would be very interesting. There's videos of people hanging out and having casual conversations with him, and he's just like, he's literally talking to his uh, Bonichus and Rose Chews and imaginary Pokemons and Digimons and fictional characters that only he could see because he is on the margin of the dimensional merge. So, uh, yeah, that's just how he sounds normally when talking with actual people. He'll just start randomly talking to Rose Chew and Sonic Chew. It's like, keep up the good work, Rose Chew. And you're like, uh, what the fuck is this? Oh, that's creepy. Yeah, it would be entertaining if nothing else. I mean, most of the time he doesn't seem dangerous unless you, like, beat him in a game of Pokemon cards and then he'll hit you with the pepper spray. <laughs> Well, or uh, unless you happen to be his mother, in that case, uh, there may be you may be in grave danger. 
Um, Allegedly, that's uh, that's that's not what the trial is. Right, right. I just said you may be in grave danger. I don't know. I mean, who, hey, who knows? Possibility. We've yet to find out conclusive proof as to that, but yeah. Right. Do you do you know if he still carries around that um uh that uh that that amulet that he made the fucking Sonic uh, amulet? I don't think they allow him to have that wherever he is now, so probably not. Oh, yeah, probably for the best. Uh, actually, no, 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 the amulet, it wasn't Sonic, it was the yellow one, wasn't it? Um, it was Sonic 2, do you know nothing of Christian lore? I, I, I don't know, I don't know the Sonic characters, but like, the, you know the little amulet that he made, that he, that he, like, made into a necklace? Uh, yeah, Sonic 2. Okay. Sonic and Pikachu combined, basically. Oh, okay, right, I get it. So it's just like a little yellow Sonic guy. Yeah. There you go. Uh, speaking of which, did you know, and I, I, I found this out recently, um, so I assumed that all the Sonic the Hedgehog characters were actually just hedgehogs, but um, the red one, uh, Knuckles, he is um, an echidna. Yeah. So he's a Mimitream, and the rest of them are mammals, I think, which is even more peculiar. That's true. So... So, so actually, Knuckles, uh, he he has a cloaca. It, that's that's what he has. He he shits and pisses and comes out of the exact same hole. Uh, Little uh, yeah. Don't tell that to the furry community because uh, they're really prone to wishful thinking on what Knuckles may or may not have between his legs. So, <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's degenerate. Degenerous. <laughs> But anyway, oh, the new Sonic 2 movie that I watched, um, did you see the Sonic 2 movie? Uh, I haven't. You know, I only saw the, the first movie, like, a couple months ago, just because it was on, uh, and I did not enjoy it that much. I, it, it was, it, it was just like, it was like every other movie that exists, like, completely formulaic, you could predict the plot from just the beginning of the movie, uh, it, just boring. Uh, I did not enjoy it whatsoever, and uh, I have no interest in watching the second one. But maybe the second one's better. How was it? Yeah, I could understand that criticism. And the second one, if that's your criticism of the first one, it's not, not much has changed. You do get to see more of Jim Carrey's portrayal of Dr. Robotnik, which is the most funny and interesting part of the movie, in my opinion. But aside from that, like all the criticisms you gave of the first one, like formulaic, predictable plot, yes, it's basically similar <laughs> uh i actually isn't uh isn't this going to be jim carrey's last um performance uh it says dr robotnik in sonic 2 that's where he's gonna leave end his career i guess that's the high note and he's 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 walking away he's like you know what uh i'll quit while i'm ahead this is probably one of the greatest things i'm gonna do in my in my in my career as an actor so this is the one i'll i'll, I'll leave on <laughs> What's the source on this? Is this like a TMZ thing or something? No, I, I, like like apparently he's, he's retiring. I don't know. I heard that. I could be wrong. <sighs> Jim Carrey is in a constant state of retiring and coming back, retiring. Like you can't really trust what he says anymore because he's kind of weird in more ways than one, and not not funny, happy, clap clap. You're laughing with him, weird, but just weird in general in many ways. Um, 
Yeah, I think uh, my favorite movie that he was in was not Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I didn't like that movie. I'm sorry to anyone who does. I know that a lot of people love it. I didn't like it. Uh, I liked him in uh, the the Pet Detective uh, movies. Th those were those were fun. Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. What's the matter? Phrase I'll raise a stink. <laughs> but he's talking with his ass. I, I guess uh, he was like he was the primordial um, uh, pita vegan. Weirdly enough, and you know what? His portrayal of that type of person is like it's the perfect hyperbolic jesting of the immortal freaking vegan archetype, to where he makes them look as ridiculous as they really are once you start talking to them. <laughs> I, I, and now yeah. Vegan Gaines is going to watch this, and Vegan Gaines is going to be like, I bet you're fat. Ugh, why don't you fight me in real life? We'll do an arm wrestling competition. I, I, think, I, think that, uh, I think a lot of vegans actually think that they are um, Ace Ventura. And they're like, yo, I fucking watched that movie when I was a kid. I understand that I don't, I don't want to eat any animals, so I am now embodying that character played, played by Jim Carrey. Uh I I don't know. I uh, I actually I got into into an interesting uh, discussion uh, with some uh, I guess utilitarian vegans uh, uh, this uh, this last week as well. A really really interesting discussion. Um, so <clears throat> of course uh, a a utilitarian is someone uh, who believes that they want to uh, maximize uh, well being. Uh, for for the most number of people, they, uh, I guess uh, this this particular group of people, it was a group. It wasn't just one crazy guy. It was like four of them. Um, uh, they also believed uh, not just in maximizing well being, but also uh, in not violating uh, anyone's rights ever. Uh, and they were talking about how you know you sh you should be a vegan. And uh, I I told them you know. Um, if uh, if you stopped, if everyone in the entire world stopped eating chickens tomorrow, then uh, it would be a genocide of of all of the domesticated chickens because uh, no one's gonna want to take care of billions of them anymore. <clears throat> and uh, in in addition to that, uh, it's not like they can return to nature. They've been far too domesticated. They would just they they, they can't survive out in the wild. So that would be a genocide of the chickens and. The uh, the guy that I was talking to, he said said yeah absolutely that, that sounds that sounds like a good idea because you know it, it would eliminate their pain and suffering, and I uh, I I hear this and, and I go well you know the the thing about uh, a lot of animals just in the wild is that um, they get eaten like like predators eat animals so you know the fact that humans eat animals is really not that different than a predator eating an animal you know if anything actually um, humans can uh, kill them in a, in a more humane way than, um, uh, chewing them to death. Uh, so, you know, maybe this is an improvement, you know, I mean, what would you want to do? Would you want to just, um, euthanize all of the predators that exist out there in, in, in the, in the, uh, in the environment so that, uh, you know, nothing ever gets eaten again? And the guy, I swear to God, he goes, yeah, I think that that is something that we should do. <laughs> Breaker, what, what the fuck do you think about that? I think you tried to use the classic Papa J.F. strategy of the confused moral tie. And that by saying to them, hey, 
if we stop eating these chickens and therefore release all these domesticated chickens, more would have died and they could very well go extinct entirely than they otherwise would have if we kept eating certain numbers of them. And that's one way to go about that. But then I think the vegans are adapting. They're necessarily becoming more extreme because usually vegans are the type of people with little to no principles because they're usually left-wing. Shocking, I know. Left-wingers and lack of principles. And these no. days, I mean, I've never heard of such a thing. Like, how could that be the case? I mean, it's it's pretty extreme to say, yes, I'm okay with the genocide of the chickens, and yes, we should also genocide all of the natural predators that might ever eat anything. Um, uh, I mean, of course, that would... I, I, I said I said to them, I, I said, look... Um, I remember this uh, this study that was that was done uh, in the uh, in the Chesapeake Bay, uh, where uh, basically starfish they come along and they eat uh, mollusks um, like uh, uh, like clams and and mussels and stuff, and <clears throat> uh, I think it was it was due to pollution. Uh, the the starfish basically died out, but you know the the clams and the mussels remained. Now without the um, uh, the pressure of uh, predation in the environment, um, uh, actually, a lot of the mussel species died out because a lot of these mussel species were like slightly more inefficient when it comes to gaining nutrients, but more efficient when it comes to um, dealing with predators. And so there was a lot of biodiversity. And when the starfish exited the scene, actually, a lot of mussels uh, were no longer able to compete because that was no longer a thing that was selected for, and you actually saw a loss in um, biodiversity of uh, the clams and mussels uh, also in that same ecosystem. So actually, predation um, makes for uh, a greater amount of biodiversity uh, in, a, in a natural ecosystem. And then the guy said, I don't give a fuck about biodiversity. Well, okay, all right. I mean, I guess I guess you don't have to. I mean, it's... it's uh, that makes uh, ecosystems a whole lot less stable, but I guess that's not a thing that we have to care about because I guess the the one the one thing that one should ever ever care about is well being, uh, uh, which 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 should which should which should tell you uh, what what I feel about utilitarianism, uh, but uh, uh, so I I I I told them I I I disagree with you guys. You know I I think that. My principles are on a different continent to where your 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 guys' principles are, um, <clears throat> uh, you know. Because you know, my my stance is that it's it's like uh, it it's important to say uh, reproduce yourself, right? Like you should have kids. They said, no, I will never have kids. There's too many humans. Of course, they're anti-natalist. Why wouldn't they be? Um, and they go, they, I, they go, I don't want to have kids. And I, I told them, I said, hey, you know what? I think that's great. I think it's really fantastic that you are actively deciding to remove yourself from the, from the gene pool because that leaves more room for me. You are choosing to quit the game of evolution so that I can more easily win it. Thank you for your contribution. Uh, <clears throat> of, of course, I, I also told them, you know, if, uh, if, if, if you actually wanted your... Uh, well-being and never violate rights ideas to actually continue into the future, you probably should reproduce, otherwise your genes and your ideas will die out. Uh, uh, but they didn't have a response for that one, really. But uh, there, 
there are some fucking crazy people out there. I mean, my God. And it wasn't just one guy. This was like four people. Oh, dang. What can we ever do about this type of stuff? You know, I was thinking about that recently, and I think type of people like extreme ideologues like this that are more often than not to be found on the left wing these days. There is a right wing version of this, but it takes more like natural law and human nature into account when devising top-down ideologies such as this. The left just starts with ideology first that is not merely top-down, but it, it exists in this separate, rarefied realm of pure, essential ideas that when they pull on them and bring them back down to Earth, they don't have any like natural, organically grown, bottom-up meeting point for that to coexist with. So they're just like, destroy all predators everywhere, and this is a good idea. Not even realizing or even trying to consider the consequences that could potentially have, as you just laid out. So, uh, yeah, this is just hyper-platonic, like, deranged Platonist leftism. Well, right, that's the, uh, that's, that's the thing. Um, so... I let's say let's say that they did have just a, a perfect argument and it was just it was a complete circle of truth and that I couldn't get around it because it was just so well fortified so well thought out just brilliant thinking right I would still even if I wasn't able to uh like argue against it I would still be like you know I'm not sure that I trust it because ultimately that is that's a human concept um humans are fallible humans are not god so our thoughts are also fallible, and our thoughts are not godly. So even, even if it's a really good idea, that doesn't actually mean that it is correct or that it matches up to reality whatsoever. Uh, this is a phenomenon, I think, that uh, I, I agree with you. This, this seems to happen more with the left, whereas, if anything, the right seems to have more of a bottom-up, I don't necessarily know anything. I'm not necessarily right about anything. I just kind of have to trust the world and just hope that, you know, things work out, essentially. Yeah, because on the right, there's usually more of a consideration of human nature, which we've talked about before, is ultimately flawed. And it doesn't necessarily need to be a religious right-wing person to think this way. Like, you're an atheist, I'm an atheist. Like, we're both atheists, but we can still comprehend this type of thinking where human knowledge isn't perfect. Yeah, if, if anything, I think that history shows us that uh, it, it, I, it has always been flawed. Like, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I, I struggle to think of anything that humans have thought of that is actually 100% true. Like, like, like you would bring up, even when it comes to our most pristine of ideas, uh, logic and mathematics, even that is incomplete. So, have humans ever thought of anything that is actually completely true? I'm, I'm not sure that they have. I would even go a step further to say, and like put an even finer point on it, if, if you could actually access a real perfect godly idea 
The second you tried to pull it into the human sphere, all sorts of crap would start to go wrong. Like, let's say the vegans destroy all predators, only herbivores and everything lives in peace, kumbaya, forever and ever. Let's say, that for the sake of argument, that is a perfect godly idea that would work in some rarefied abstract domain where only perfect ideas exist. Once you pull it into this imperfect, flawed, competitive, tooth-and-claw world, it no longer applies in this context, even though it may apply in some other fanciful, fictional context outside of this reality. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it works in heaven, but it cannot work uh, on Earth. Basically, yeah. Yeah, so... um. Uh, in, in short, uh, fucking hell, I hate utilitarians. Uh, I, I think that, I, I was thinking a little bit about this. I think that in, in the same way that, say, a, a communist is, um, kind of the opposite of, say, like an anarcho-capitalist, uh, or actually, you know what, I, it's more like a, um, like a Maoist is the opposite of an anarcho-capitalist. Uh, I think that a utilitarian is the opposite of uh, say, like, a, uh, a Darwinist. Like, I, I don't, I think that those are opposites. Yeah, because utilitarianism is dealing with, like, like, the classic trolley problem in this perfectly discrete scenario where you must kill one person or five people knowing nothing else in this mathematically clean abstract, pure, white background scenario of the little meme of the trolley puller guy. There is a logical answer to that. Whereas in, in the real world, all sorts of biases and bottom-up emergent properties are going to color your perception, even if you did find yourself in a similar situation with real trolleys and real humans tied to tracks. If you see, like, the one human is like looks like Quasimodo, and the five women... <laughs> are like super hot beach babes you know did you make that because it was a logical decision to kill the one guy or did you just like think quasimodo was an ugly motherfucker and if you had five quasimodos and one hot babe you're probably going to kill the five quasimodos yeah i don't give a babe is hot. i don't give a shit about those quasimodos you could have a hundred of them yeah that's an extreme example but it's much more complicated and subtle than that it, like i'm just trying to illustrate how your perceptions can be biased and shifted in ways that when you're thinking rationally, you wouldn't consider because the rational mind doesn't take into account all of this huge fractal emergent nuance that always happens in the right brain. Yeah, the, uh, the, the real world is, uh, is not a projection of platonic forms. Uh, it is it is uh, specifically imperfect, and uh, I think a, a a lot of ideas that that try to um, categorize it into neat boxes ultimately uh, they don't work. Uh, so, for instance, uh, I would say that there are uh, fundamental flaws with, say, science and the scientific method. Yeah, I think we've talked about this before. We mentioned this on the last show. Uh, okay. So, oh, did we? Yeah. No. All right. And how basically, 
I, if you did have perfect knowledge, it couldn't be scientific knowledge because perfect knowledge wouldn't necessitate you to be curious, inquisitive, or amenable to changing your paradigm of thinking because it would in and of itself be perfect knowledge. So no scientific method could be applied to that knowledge. And it couldn't have arisen from the emergent process of the scientific methodology because science is asymptotic, always giving you approximations depending on the amount of information you have right now. Whereas like perfect essential ideas are totalizing and complete. Well, okay. So let me, uh, uh, let me, let me put an addendum on that because I, I think it's, it's worth noting. So, um, when it comes to playing chess, uh, we have been, uh, trying to make computers play chess for a few decades now. Uh, and, uh, there's this one, uh, chess playing algorithm called, uh, Stockfish. And, uh, it's, I'm not sure if it's the very best, but it's, it's up there. And, um, it's, it's based off of, uh, human, like, like all of the best math and logic that humans have been able to cram into a system, uh, in order to, uh, play chess in the most optimal way. And it will absolutely beat any, uh, human player. Uh, any unaided uh, human player, uh, literally every time. No, no one can beat this thing. Um, and and I mean th that makes sense, right? Like it's all of the best ideas that we possibly have about how chess works and the logic behind it and the math behind it and the optimal strategies and uh, trying to maximize the number of moves that you will have in the future. All of this Stockfish does incredibly well. However, um, there is uh, an AI uh, that was created. Uh, by DeepMind called Alpha Zero, and uh, this is the same. This is from the same people who made AlphaGo, the first AI to ever beat a human uh, at the game of Go. And uh, Alpha Zero um, can uh, absolutely murder Stockfish. Now, this is interesting because uh, if you ask anyone at that company how Alpha Zero works, they will shrug their shoulders and they'll go, "I don't know," because it is um, an evolved uh, algorithm, right? It, it actually, basically, you're, you're using um, Darwinian evolution in order to create a, a complex neural network that can play the game. And it is, it is complex. Uh, and because it is this, this complex network, no one understands how it works. They know that it works. They know that it works incredibly well. But no one, no, no human on this world understands or even can understand uh, how it works. And if you were to try to get the scientific method in on this to try to actually identify how it works, uh, the scientific method itself would, would be stumped because, um, uh, the, 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 the scientific method deals with, um, uh, independent and dependent variables, right? You, you, you have a hypothesis, uh, you check to see if it's true, um, and then, uh, if it is, you think some more, if it isn't, you go back to the drawing table and you think some more, uh, <clears throat> but it's, it's all based off of, uh, independent and dependent variables. Now, the issue is that when it comes to figuring out a complex system, uh, this breaks down. It, it, this, this is a completely ineffective way of, uh, addressing any sort of complex system, right? So, um, alpha zero is actually, it is beyond what science is capable of understanding. And so, <clears throat> I guess that my thinking is that, well, 
maybe at this point, the scientific method, which was developed like a couple centuries ago, um, maybe showing its age a little bit, uh, and maybe maybe it's just kind of an old thing. And I know that it's the gigantic institution that everyone wants to be part of, uh, and it still pumps out really great stuff. Like I'm not I'm not shitting on it. It's a fantastic methodology, but it is becoming more and more apparent, uh, especially as as we move into uh, all of these neural networks, fucking you know self driving cars and whatnot. Um, that uh, it is it is ill-equipped uh, for for what is currently happening. Uh, it is it is it is not effective. So I just I just wanted to to say that about about science. That's that's all. There's a I watched a video recently by Jordan B. Peterson entitled "The Problem of Perception," and he kind of goes through this like. People tried to make the self-driving cars, and they tried to make robots that could see things and know what things are. But then they realized that the mere process of seeing any object and identifying what it is with the speed and efficiency that a human can is a monumental coding nightmare. <laughs> because, like, let's say you want a computer to see a teacup. A human can see a teacup from any angle. You could even see a shadow of a teacup or an abstract teacup or a teacup in the clouds of a completely emergent physical process of chemical clouds floating in the sky. You can say, hey, that kind of looks like a teacup. Whereas a machine, you would have to be like, okay, here is my Target teacup that I got for ten ninety nine at Target and take, like, billions of different pictures from all different angles of this teacup and upload them in the machine and have it extrapolate. It's like, hmm, this is teacup. And then you get a teacup from Bed Bath & Beyond that's a different color and a different shape, and it's like, what the hell is this? Right, yeah, yeah. Because, well, so natural selection works off of what is uh, useful, essentially. Uh, and... Uh, also, the, this, the structures that, it, that, that form the... the the uh, neural network that is your brain also uh, especially when when like you're much younger uh, are themselves a Darwinian system so it is all about what is useful when we see something we identify usefulness uh, like you see a stick when you're walking in the woods you think okay this uh, I can identify that this is a stick yes but also what is it what is its use to me can I use it as a cane can I use it to hit someone um, can I use it to uh, uh, like poke at something that I don't want to poke at with my bare hands. You, uh, you can immediately identify usefulness and purpose behind objects, and it, I think that's. I think that that is why, uh, or at least that's part of the reason why it is that we're able to, um, uh, like identify a chair, even though we've never seen that particular chair. Oh, this is a a purple chair, and it's made out of um, uh, uh. Plastic, and I've never seen a purple plastic chair. I can immediately identify. Oh yeah, that's, that's a chair. I can sit in it. I can see the form and the function of it. I remember Richard Dawkins brought up something about this, like the difference between designed object and designoid objects. And he had the examples of a a wooden bowl and a geode, which is basically a rock formation with little crystals inside of it, but the outside just looks like a plain rock. And you put these two objects together, and they both look bowl-like. So you can identify, like, one way of going about it is identify as, like, hmm, they can both be used as bowls. 
but one doesn't seem to be a bowl made by human hands. Yeah, yeah, that like is the emergent crystal bowl is like a geometric process that just so coincidentally happened to take on the shape of like something like a human could come along and say, "Hey, it looks like a bowl," but it's not a bowl. Also, I, I think that a, a, a geode, even though it might be bowl-shaped, would actually make a, a really shit bowl. Well, all the little crystals inside, you would kind of get most of your stuff that you put it in stuck inside the crystal. So. Yeah, and the, the outside is, like, non-crystalline. It's, like, all dirty, and, like, it's a rock, and, like, and, and it's heavy, and it's thick. Like, you, you don't, you know, and it would make a shit bowl. A better example would be, like, a coconut with the straw put in it. You could have, like, a drink cup... That's like, hey, this is a cup like I got from Wendy's or whatever. And then you could have a coconut with a hole drilled in the side and a straw stuck in it so you could suck, suck the coconut milk out of it. It's like, hmm, this is kind of like a cup, but I know this wasn't like manufactured in a factory or something. This is an actual like nut that has fallen from a tree and it's just naturally grown like this. But it's, it's serving a similar purpose that I can drink from it. Um... Speaking very briefly of straws, I just wanted to point this out because it was on my mind. Uh, I fucking hate paper straws, and I don't know why it is that uh, people uh, use them. Uh, I don't know why it is I that... hate them, too. I'll tell you why I hate them, because they're actually less biodegradable and worse for the environment than the fucking plastic straw. Because the plastic straw is going to break down in sunlight, and it's going to turn back into, like, petroleum powder plastic that microbes can eventually eat and the paper straw is like treated with a type of paraffin like synthetic wax to make it not break down when you stick it in the cup so it's actually going to not biodegrade as fast as the freaking plastic straw is so it's actually worse for the environment <laughs> okay so i i haven't I, I haven't heard that one i actually i would suspect that uh the paper straw would still uh break down faster and i'm saying this because Whenever I've used a paper straw, the wax does not work perfectly, and it, it still eventually gets soggy. Um, but uh, uh, my 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 position here is that uh, you know, look, I I'm not I'm actually I'm kind of an environmentalist. I'm not. Uh, I think that the whole CO two thing is a little bit um, over exaggerated. I think that there are greater problems than just the whole CO two thing. In fact, I would argue that uh, CO two is. Um, something that exists in a natural feedback loop with the rest of the environment. Um, because uh, when you increase uh, CO2, um, uh, you uh, allow plants to keep their, uh, um, their stomatas uh, closed, which means that they um, lose uh, less water, uh, which means that they can exist in more arid environments, which means that more plants exist, which means that they suck up more CO2, which is a natural, that's a, that's a um, negative feedback cycle. So honestly, I'm, I'm really not that concerned about CO2. That's my own position. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? Uh, but, you know, I, I'm an environmentalist. Uh, I, I don't want to um, see pollution. I, I always recycle uh, because I think it, it's the good thing to do. Uh, <clears throat> but when it comes to things that you want to tackle, right, why would you go go after the straws? Like, they are such a, in terms of the actual plastic that we produce and the damage that they do to the environment, straw, plastic straws are not, by, by any stretch of the word, a significant um, uh, source of, 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 of the uh, pollution uh, that, that we create. 
Uh, I think that people really just care about it because they saw that one picture of a turtle with a with plastic straw stuck stuck up in its nose. I mean, uh, that's a tragic uh, photo, but uh, also um, that's that is just just one turtle. Uh, that's not giving you a picture of, of the of the of the whole thing that is happening. Uh, but also, here's what it does: it makes people fucking hate environmentalism. Right, because no one likes paper straws. You're shooting yourself in the own in your own foot because when people have to use paper straws, they will go, "I fucking hate this shit," and then the, they'll they'll decide, you know what? I just I, I fuck fuck this whole thing, fuck environmentalism. I don't give a shit about it because I fucking hate the paper straws. There are so many other things that you could go after instead of the fucking straws that doesn't piss people off as much. Like this is. I don't know who came up with this idea of making paper straws, but it is it is so ill conceived. I it just it it's so bad. Uh, well, you know you have the option to now buy aluminum straws that are reusable and you can take with you to every restaurant. I uh, didn't didn't uh, I think it was worked out like if you are someone who cares about CO two, it's like in order to. Um, make the uh, the 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 aluminum straw equal in terms of carbon footprint to the plastic straw. You would have to go through like several hundred plastic straws or something. It, it was something like that. Like like the making a metal straw releases a hell of a lot more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere than. Um, yeah. So basically, you would have to get an aluminum straw and, like, if you really cared about the environment, you would have to treat this freaking aluminum straw like a religious object and use it every day of your life before you reach the threshold of it actually being less detrimental to the environment than using up a hundred plastic straws over your lifetime. Right, yeah, yeah, you would have to, like, that, when you get that aluminum straw, that is your only straw for the rest of your life, fucking don't lose it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then people would fucking lose it, and they're like, ah, I lost my straw, I need to buy another one. And then they buy another one, it's like, well, you just bought two whole human lifetimes worth of CO2, great job, dipshit. Uh, the, uh, uh, you, you know what I do, though? You know what my solution is? And I, I think this is a really good solution. Um, just don't fucking use straws. I can't remember the last time I actually used a straw. I just drink out of the fucking container, whatever it is. I just drink out of it, you don't need a fucking straw. Why do you need a straw? Fuck straws. Honestly, I'm inclined to agree with you. I mean, unless unless you're you just went through a drive-through and you're in a moving vehicle and you want to keep the top on it, but also sip sip your beverage. In that case, if you are in a moving vehicle and you don't just want to have like an open container, and that is the only instance where I think a straw is is acceptable. Mm. Mm. Well, there are options now for, like, travel cups, but I don't know because of the whole, uh, and this segues into our next topic about the, uh, mysterious new virus. I don't know if, like, the, uh, the, um, how do I call it, the beer buggery, if they would let you bring your own cup to the drive through and say, hey, fill this cup up instead, they'd probably be like, uh, we can't fill up external cups because of the contagion, uh. I think I think that that really the the main solution here is that um uh, we all switch back to sippy cups because like if you think about it like a sippy cup is just the a, ultimate state yeah <laughs> like actually I think I think sippy cup is based in red pill 
Well, th- then we get in the pod and eat the boogs. <laughs> and we sip, like, liquefied boog smoothies from our sippy cups. Uh, the, uh... And we, we watch VR porn, and we just uh, enjoy ourselves in the pod. So... I want to I want to point out that um uh uh going into a nice warm pod where um you just uh have like a fully accurate VR por- porn and you're just on a on a constant um heroin drip that that is actually um the 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 wet dream of every uh, utilitarian I think that that's really what they want for humanity um and uh, uh if there are any utilitarians watching this I I fucking mean that and fuck you uh, I hate your vision. Uh, yeah, just wanted to just wanted to say that. Um, well, but... just so you know, millennials have like a unique concept that's never been heard of before this generation: the concept of adult orphans. Think about the implications what? of the term "adult orphan." Uh, I that uh, that's like that's like an oxymoron. I've never heard this this before. Well, because so many millennials live with their parents until their parents inevitably die because nature takes its course. And then when their parents die, they literally don't know what to do. They're adult orphans. <laughs> uh, I guess that must be... That couldn't be a, a Gen Z thing, right? That would have to be a millennial thing. Yeah, it's a millennial thing. The way I heard Tim Pool talk about it. Oh, God. Uh, I So I'm a millennial, and... um. I I'm ashamed of my generation. I'm just absolutely ashamed. <sighs> Aren't we all? Aren't we all? But then on to the next topic: uh, the mysterious new monkey flu. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, apparently there is a uh, a monkeypox uh, going around. It um, it is uh, similar. Uh, to smallpox, which uh, was eradicated um, in the uh, in the twentieth century, uh, it is similar, but it is not nearly uh, as as uh, deadly, um, and it has uh, sprung up in a number of uh, nations. Uh, all, I think all of them um, European or of European descent. So you have, uh, I think it's uh, Italy, Britain, Canada. Um, I think there was uh, one or two cases in America. Um, now, the weird thing to me is that, uh, I, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Breaker, you may know geology better than I do, but, um, are, there aren't any native monkeys in, in Canada or, or Britain, are there? The only native primates in these places I can think of are humans. Yeah, and we're barely native. So... Uh, well, yeah, technically, if you stretch it out long enough, we're not, we're kind of an invasive species everywhere we go except Africa, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are, and uh, that, you know, I think that that might actually have something to do with um, uh, humans uh, becoming really, really successful um, in many places, like, except for Africa. It's because, like, you look at any invasive species when it moves into an environment into an environment that like doesn't know how to deal with it because it's so new um it just fucking takes over uh that may be a reason why it is that humans were so successful after they got out of africa um but uh yeah so uh yeah there's there's apparently a monkeypox um apparently there are there's two different uh, varieties of this monkeypox there's uh one with um 
uh, like a uh, a lethality rate that is alongside that of COVID, so basically not a big deal. Uh, but then there's another version that has like a 10% um, uh, mortality rate. Uh, and I, I, I'm not sure if anyone knows precisely which one it is yet, but uh, it seems like it's it's probably the former. It's probably the less deadly one. Um, but uh, what I'm what I'm really looking forward to is uh, how the government uh, can finagle their way into a, a new lockdown over this. I'm really looking forward to another lockdown. How about you, Breaker? Yes, that would be uh, very very enjoyable. But you know, the most important thing about that would be that uh, at least we would all be safe. <laughs> hey, look, Breaker, if, look, if it saves just one life, okay, maybe we should just completely trash our economy. I mean, if it, yes, just saved... if it saved a single octogenarian cancer patient with liver failure, oh, I'm so sad that this person who totally had many years of life ahead of them is going to be saved by this. Thank God. Thank, thank God. And I'm sure that completely trashing our economy and forcing a whole bunch of people to stay inside and then get depressed, I'm sure that that itself won't lead to any unwarranted deaths. I, I'm sure there won't be any consequences. It's all good. You know, speaking of this, I, you probably haven't kept up with all these phenomenon the young kids are doing, but because I, I sometimes talk to very young people on Discord, and I notice like, a few like strange new emergent phenomenons, especially in the tech world, of... There's this whole phenomenon of really young kids going on, like, VR chat and uh, the metaverse. Metaverse not nearly as popular as just the Oculus Rift VR chat. Go figure. Maybe that's why the stock price shit the bed, but that notwithstanding. Um, there's this phenomenon where they get their, their avatars, and you can get, like, premium avatars, and you can be whatever avatar you want in the VR world. And there's these rooms in the VR worlds that just have mirrors on the wall. And these people will stand in front of this mirror looking at their VR avatar body and moving their hands around. And that's all they do for hours. They don't even talk to anybody and they don't do any activities in this VR world. They just stare at themselves in this new body and it, they're like hypnotized by it. And you'll go into these rooms and you'll see a whole room full of like drooling zombies with different bodies like SpongeBob's and Kermit the Frogs. And they're all just staring into a mirror. <laughs> I can... I can... With uh, with absolute certainty, I am 100% certain about this after just having heard that this is a thing. Um, everyone who is doing that is is on the spectrum. They have some version of Asperger's or autism. I just, I know just that for a fact. I guarantee you. And that kind of ties in with the social isolation over these uh, viral lockdowns that we've had over the past several freaking years now. When did this shit start? 2019? It seems like fucking forever now. Uh, it was the very, very beginning of 2020 is when it hit America. Mm, you might be right about that. I can barely keep track of all this crap anymore, honestly. But anyway, like, the two years of that and all these kids, like, these young teenage kids that started out as, like, uh, preteens and going into teens over these two years, and kids even younger than that in, like, critical development phases for human facial recognition and picking up on social cues and body language. They've just... 
they've missed out on that in like the real meat space world and the substitute for that has been like vr avatar characters but the vr avatar characters seem to be causing like this type of sensory feedback where it's not your body but you're moving it and you're looking in a mirror but it's like this weird it's like drawing a white line on the ground to stun a chicken and the chicken just stares at the white line this is a similar thing but for humans it's <laughs> <laughs> kind of funny um so with the uh with the with the the key development stages thing and like how like th there are kids that um like they only ever see people with masks on like the only people that they'll ever see without masks on are like maybe their parents um mm -hmm. i mean you know then again who knows maybe the parents wear the the mask inside the house maybe uh maybe the parents uh wear wear, wear a mask um uh, to bed when they when they when they fuck each other, you know. Uh, like, I've seen people wearing masks in cars driving to work. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, absolute insanity. But uh, okay, so what if it what if it's a little bit like, um, like how blind people they have like sharper hearing, um, or like uh, deaf people, um, they're actually I actually I I know this from experience. Uh, deaf people are better at picking up body language than than hearing than hearing people are, um, <clears throat> like. What if it's like, okay, these kids, they, 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 the only part of the face that they can see is the eyes. So maybe they won't really understand what a smile is, but they can, they, they'll be really good at looking at the person's eyes. And so maybe they'll be even better at determining if it's a fake smile or a real smile. Because the way that you can tell a real smile is that it's all in the eyes, right? So maybe actually it's going to help them, right? They'll be able to more easily discern someone who's fake smiling and projecting bullshit versus someone who is genuinely smiling, right? Like, actually, maybe this is good. Yeah, they'll be able to pick out shifty-eyed liars really quickly. Another thing about this that I'm starting to think is how you brought, like, autism spectrum disorder into this and Asperger's and stuff. I think maybe that a lot of that that we see these days probably isn't, like, 100% genetically determined. It's more of, like, an epigenetic and developmental phenomenon that happens over the development of the child's life. Because even before the COVID shit started, uh, the COVID shit, like, ramped it up to 11 and broke off the knob. But even before that, people were becoming really socially isolated, and they spent more time on screens and computers and tech text and chat rooms like we're talking on right now than actually talking to face-to-face -to -face people with body language and pheromones and facial cues and all these types of things. So I think what will eventually happen with the new generation as they grow up in this, their minds will necessarily like become more attuned to logical abstractions to tell if people are lying with like is that a sound argument or not? Because they won't have, like, the primordial body language human cue stuff to know if this is, like, a trustworthy person. They'll only be able to do it by text and, like, maybe vocal cues over this link that we're using right now. So they'll be a lot better at detecting phony politicians in the future. <laughs> you know what? Maybe it is for the best. You know, maybe this is just another part of human evolution. Well, whether we like it or not, it's seeming to pan out that way, isn't it? Uh, I guess you can't you can't stop the train. You know, you may you may yeah. you may want to get off of Mister Bones' wild ride, but Mister Bones' wild ride never ends. Exactly. Like, there's no brakes on the evolution train.
Yeah. Um. <clears throat> but uh, yeah. So this uh, this this monkeypox thing. Um. I uh, I guess we'll we'll see if it turns out to be a big deal or not. Um. Uh. I think I think it'll probably end up being a big nothing, but um. It is something that some people are freaking out over. Uh, I mean, they'll try I, and leverage it into something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that the 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 government will um, uh, try to do whatever it can to um, uh, to exploit. Uh, the, the government will always do whatever it can to exploit to exploit a crisis for its own benefit. Um, uh, and uh, speaking of uh, crisis uh, crises, um, <clears throat> uh, so. Uh, Breaker, I know that you uh, have investments in the stock market. Uh, I know that I do. Um, the past uh, the past couple of weeks have been uh, particularly uh, rough, uh, haven't they? Even my freaking like commodities futures are kind of. It's because those freaking energy contracts that Biden fucked up probably is causing it. It's putting a dent in my VDMDX fucking commodity future. Every every time I, I I look at the stock market, you know, I, I look back at oh man, since two thousand and sixteen, I had such fat gains, and then um, and I guess you know people are like whoa 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 things are going too well. Like I can't I can't take uh how much we're winning. Actually, Donald Trump predicted this. He he said we're we're, we're gonna win so much, you're gonna get tired. You're gonna go oh please no more winning, please I I can't take this much winning. And I think that that's actually what happened. People are like oh my god. Things are going too well. I'm making too much money. Uh, we're becoming too prosperous. Uh, we're energy independent. We're not starting any new wars. Um, uh, 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 minimum, uh, not minimum wage, but the uh, uh, the average wage for workers is increasing. Um, even like like uh, McDonald's was having to like actually increase the pay of their workers because there was so much demand for workers because the economy was doing so fucking well. People were like, whoa, 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 whoa! I I can't take this much. Let's get um, the oldest, uh, most senile, um, uh, establishment pawn that we can possibly get. Let's get him in there, because I can't take this much winning. I need a loss. Jesus Christ, I'm sick of winning. I need a loss already. And the American people, they got together, and they, um, allegedly, uh, voted for exactly that. And, um, uh, yeah, I guess that that's what happened. That's what happened. And, uh, now, um, the, the economy is in the shitter. Uh, we're facing shortages of a whole bunch of things. Uh, we're potentially going to get into war with Russia. Uh, China is uh, attempting to basically buy out the United States whole. Um, we're probably going to end up losing Taiwan if China wants it, uh, because it's not like Biden's going to fight for it. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, it's it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of losses, you know. And if if you like losses, and this is going, this is fantastic. You're probably thinking, fuck yeah, voting for Joe Biden was such a good decision because I wanted some fucking losses and we're finally getting some fucking losses. Let's fucking go. Uh, so, you know, I just, I was never a big fan of losses, so I guess I don't understand it. But, you know, Breaker, maybe you and I were, were in the wrong here. You know, maybe America needed a couple good losses. Hey, you vote for me, you're going to win. You're going to win so much, you're going to get tired of winning. Believe me. I guess Trump was right. We did get so tired of winning, we got sick of it. Like, Trump predicted all of this. He really is the god emperor. He is. He absolutely is, yeah. He knew what was going to happen. He was like, I'm going to do too good of a job. I'm going to do such a good job, they're going to they're gonna get sick of it, and they're going to kick me out. <laughs> That's what happens. Yeah, well, that, then we got uh, Alzheimer's howdy-doody. <laughs> <sighs> Uh, 
fucking Joe Biden. Come on, man. America. You know the thing. <laughs> yeah, I can't. Uh, uh, I. Well, the good the good news is that I'm the. I'm gonna um... take you. Out. You keep complaining like that. I'm gonna take you out behind the woodshed and introduce you to corn pop. <laughs> Uh, the, uh, uh, the good thing, I guess, sort of, uh, is that, um, the, uh, the midterms are coming up, uh, there are, uh, uh, I think there might be a few primaries that are currently going on, I think the, the timing of them differs from, uh, state to state, uh, but there are gonna be a lot of primaries coming up, um, <clears throat> uh, although I, although I know that, uh, in the blue area that I live in, uh, it, isn't going to matter that much. Uh, I will be voting in the primaries, and I, I will be voting, and I encourage everyone uh, that may be listening uh, to to vote. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, uh, it's actually especially important to vote in the primaries, especially if uh, if you're voting on uh, the uh, uh, r on the right, uh, because um, the Republican Party has an issue with uh, neoconservatives, which uh, are effectively identical to neoliberals uh, and uh, just as bad. Um, these people uh, that are uh, in the Republican Party are holding it back, and uh, they need to be um, uh, rooted up and tossed out uh, because they uh, have demonstrated that they cannot affect uh, good um, or... Uh, uh, useful policy uh so <clears throat> yeah uh i if we if we can get enough um actual genuine republicans uh real conservatives uh in uh then i think that we can at least significantly mitigate the damage of the final uh two years of the biden administration and that will uh that'll uh at least uh uh, make people less poor. So, uh, yeah, I advocate for everyone to uh, participate in their their primaries, if you can. Well, realistically, like, with the approval ratings, even with, like, the gussied-up numbers, like, putting thumbs on the scale and trying to make Biden look good, he's still at what? Like, average 30%? And that's with thumbs on the frickin' scale? <clears throat> oh, yeah, yeah. I, the, uh, he does not stand a... Uh, uh, a snowball's chance in hell at uh, uh, at winning um, in a in a twenty twenty four campaign. I mean, there's no fucking way. And the uh, uh, the Democrats may try to replace him, but uh, number one, they don't have anybody. Uh, and number two, if they did try to replace him, it would just look bad. So uh, I I have no idea what the Democrats are going to do. Uh, you know, sometimes I, I think that this is just, this is the death rattle of a dying institution. You know, like, they're doing such a bad job, and it's so obvious, and, like, part of me thinks, like, oh, this is intentional, it must be, like, some sort of scheme that they're playing at, but maybe it's actually just the death rattle. Like, they, they know that they're fucked, and they're trying to hold on for dear life, but they just don't have it anymore, you know? I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I have a feeling that you're more, well, I would just go ahead and concede that you're more politically and current events informed than I am. Um, I've been doing a lot of thinking on whether or not I should even be voting at all. And for me personally, not advice to anyone else by any stretch of the imagination. I think I'm one of the people that should be 
voting on things like the Oscars and not actual politics. I think if I vote on any political things again, it's only going to be like presidential elections. And from now on, I'm just going to write in Vermin Supreme because fuck it. Uh, obviously a good choice. Yes, the man who wears a boot on his head. But uh, uh... He wants to give me a free pony and a free toothbrush. I mean, come on. You know, the thing about the pony is that if you got one, the maintenance of, like, maintaining it would probably, like, end up... It would be like a white elephant gift, you know? Like, it, it actually would, would harm you more than anything. But, free toothbrush. Hey, that's fucking useful. Uh, maybe the free toothbrush utility will outweigh the detriment of the pony. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, true, true, true. Um... So, uh... I actually... I, I disagree with you here, Breaker. Um... I think that, uh... If you... If you have an opinion, um... Which I, I think that, that you, you have at least, like, a half dozen opinions. Um, and, and you think that, that uh, there is a, a person that is, is better at um, uh, enacting policies. Like, if, if, you, if you think that person A is better at enacting policies than person B, you should vote for person A. Like, you, you just, you should. It, like... Uh, it 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 makes sense. Like that's 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 how you avoid a whole bunch of bullshit from happening. Like you you like if if you want to see the country move in a more positive direction, in your opinion, then you ought vote. Mm. I see your point on that. That is a, a valid point, but whatever my political ideals are, are so radically outside the Overton window in the first place that there's no Republican right-wing enough, there's no Democrat left-wing enough, and there's no Libertarian Libertarian enough to where I would consider any of those options. Uh, what were the, um... Uh, there... Oh, shit, I forget the name of it. There was a, uh... Uh, it's like... It was a political, uh, ideology... And it, it it was a funny one. It's like a it's like a memeable one. The bull. The what now? The bull moose party. Uh, I'm not familiar with them, but it was a uh, basically they were Nazi communists. Um. No, the Nazbul Nazbul party. Yes, exactly. Breaker, yeah. breaker. I think that you should join the Nazbul party. I think that that's that's. You know, because they're they're extreme in all of the directions, right? And you want to maximize your ex your extremity. I'm actually on a Nazbul Telegram group, and the memes, they can actually meme unlike the left, which leads me to believe, it's like, wait a minute, how left-wing are you actually, if you can actually make memes? <laughs> oh, yeah, good point. If you can if you can meme, you're clearly not on the left, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that was my red flag right there. I was like, wait a minute, these memes, are they actually make sense, and they're funny. Hmm, there's something wrong with this. This is not left wing, right? What you what really the 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 identifier for like a true um extreme left extreme right is that they would have like decent memes, and the left would the left is just going to look like religious propitiations. Like uh, I don't I can't even think of a left wing meme because they're they're all so crappy. Like, the Wojaks, I remember this one left-wing meme of, like, these two uh, brainlit Wojak with the face on their body, with their arms crossed, and they're just drooling 
retards and they just say deus vault deus vault and then they're surrounded by npc wojeks and they're like these are the player characters and the other npc wojek is like i want to be in a different game <laughs> what a what a what a brilliant meme uh, uh it kind of tried but it was a bit too busy and it it didn't make a clear enough point. I saw what it was trying to do. It's like a German joke. A German joke, as we all know, is no laughing matter. It was kind of like that. <laughs> I've never heard that one. That's good. <laughs> I can't take credit for that. That was Mark Twain that originally said that. So. Oh, really? Oh, that's fucking brilliant. <laughs> um, well, okay, but, uh, uh, but, Breaker, I mean, I think that uh, like you, you, I, I don't, I don't agree with, uh, all of the, uh, Republican Party positions myself. Like, uh, I, I take interesting stances on a number of things. Like I'm kind of, a an, uh, a libertarian anarcho-primitivist and, uh, like, you know, no, no one is trying to, um, like dismantle all of technology so that we can return to a hunter-gatherer lifestyle. Um, so it's not like I'm really represented in the political sphere either. But I can identify that person A is better than person B, right? No one is perfect, but I can identify uh, the better and worse uh, person for the job, more or less, I think. So, no, I mean, Breaker, even if you're not represented, I think that it is still in your own best interest to vote, which is uh, ultimately the, the only appeal that matters. It is in your best interest. Well, when I do vote, I'll make sure to make my vote maximally subversive and write in Garfield, Arbuckle, and Vermin Supreme. <laughs> you should just write in or Hillary. Pedro. You should just write in Hillary Clinton, man. I think I think that's that's more memeable. <laughs> we came, we saw, he, he died. died. <laughs> on a uh, uh, on uh, okay, so. Uh, I'm not sure if I asked you this before, but out of uh, out of Kamala Harris versus Hillary Clinton, who has the more evil laugh? Who, who do you think? I'm inclined to say Hillary just because like she is more like legitimately evil. I know, though so there's more like, like legitimate malice behind it. Kamala is also evil, but she's evil in a much more softer, more domestic way. Whereas Hillary Clinton is like maniacally supervillain, mega mind evil. Well, okay, I think that they're they're both evil, it's just that one is more effective at their evil. The other one, I think, is maybe just not bright enough to to be as evil as, as they could be. Yeah, Kamala is like the minor villain in the comic book, or kind of like the henchman to the major villain, and Hillary Clinton is like, is like fucking Thanos. <laughs> right, right, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Someone should, uh, uh, so, someone should make, like, like, like a, like a, like a, like a short, like a, like a, like a comedy short, and it's like, uh, the Avengers are a whole bunch of, like, like, main people, like, uh, like, like Donald Trump could be Captain America, and, um, maybe like, like Elon Musk is Iron Man, and, um, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> so like, like, you, you get, you get, like, all, all the great characters, and then, like, like, the main villain is Hillary Clinton, and she has the Infinity Gauntlet, <laughs> like, <laughs> Uh, I think I think that might be. And fun. you could get away with this too on copyright grounds because this is a political satire and it falls under copyright protections of satire and parody and humor. 
So you could take like all like the the Marvel aesthetics, like uh, the actual Iron Man suit, but make it into like a political satire where it's Elon Musk, and I think you could get away with this legally if you wanted to do this. Right, and then like like uh like Bill Gates is is one of the henchmen of Hillary Clinton, and like and like Bill Gates is Modoc, Modoc. <laughs> Right, right, and like their their entire goal is that they they want to they want to cut the human population in half because we're we're overpopulating and they know what's best for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, and then and who would Biden be? Let me think. Uh, Biden. Uh, what's a good Marvel villain for him? Hmm. Trying to think of all the Marvel villains. Well, I think that uh, DeSantis. Um, I think DeSantis could be. Uh, I guess, uh, okay, so DeSantis, I think... DeSantis be, is Thor. Yeah, DeSantis would be Thor. And then obviously, obviously, Alex Jones would be the Hulk. We all know that. You won't like me when I'm angry. <laughs> yeah, I think that would actually be funny. Someone should fucking make that. <laughs> I'm under attack! Smash! <laughs> They're turning the friggin' frogs gay! And oh, if Pete Buttigieg would be a gay frog, and he would pick the gay frog up by the leg and bang it around like Bam Bam from the Flintstones. Stop being gay! Jesus. That would be a hate crime, of course. That would be that would be very naughty. Yes, of course, we wouldn't want to, uh... Do you realize that Pete Buttigieg took maternity leave? Uh, yeah, I think they, yeah, they adopted a kid, and he took maternity leave for, like, some insane amount of time, like, like multiple months, and, like, people didn't even notice that he was gone, because, like, he was not essential for doing, for managing that, uh, that department. What was he? He's, like, what is he the department head of? Like, fucking transportation or something? I don't even remember. I could give a shit less, honestly. But in my personal headcanon, I like to think that they found a way to impregnate Pete Buttigieg, like, junior style. And he actually gave birth anally, and it nearly destroyed his pelvis. And that's why he actually needed that time off to recuperate. In my mind, I like to think of it that way. <laughs> I, uh, uh, I, have a, I have a very, very crude joke. Um, that I am now realizing that uh, I should actually just not say. So um, I will leave that one there. <laughs> well, tell me about it after the show. Yeah, yeah. Hello, YouTube. <laughs> oh, no, Susan, we won't tell the naughty jokes. Please, Susan, no. Put down the gun, Susan. Susan, no, no! <laughs> I, will, uh, I will explain the joke uh, in the softest possible terms. Um, I... Uh, if you give birth anally, like, it would come out brown, because poop is brown. And so maybe that's where, um, like, that's the mechanism of action that, that causes. Yep. Good night, everybody! <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, yeah, I mean, that is definitely not a, uh, I think most people will be able to tell what you're saying but uh yeah youtube um let's think what else did we have to talk about
we're getting into the like the second part of the show now, so maybe there's like some uh, philosophical schmeal we could go in now that we covered the major news stuff. Or did you have another news thing? Oh, I have another news thing actually. If I sent you the article, let me see. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, let me <clears throat> go into your. What is this? Uh, what's the uh, uh, what's the topic? Uh, let's see. I hope it's still in my paste because if it's not, I'm screwed. Yep, there it is. Remember that uh, statue of the brave girl that they put in front of the Wall Street Bull? Oh, um, yeah, I do remember that. Uh, a fucking tasteless uh, addition to an otherwise, I think, phenomenal art piece. Uh, well, here's the thing. The people with the copyright on that statue, because, of course, everything is corporate, corporatized and copyrighted these days. The woman that originally made that statue made a bunch of other statues like copies of that statue and sold them some for as much as like a quarter of a million dollars. And now the original company that put together the original art exhibit of the girl standing in front of the bull is suing the artist herself for copyright infringement because she didn't get their permission to reproduce the girl statue. And in order to pay for her legal battle, she's now selling NFTs of the brave girl. Oh my God. I hate everything about the story. Like literally every aspect. Well, isn't it ironic that the fucking, like, feminist girl power corporation is suing the feminist for copyright infringement? I guess capitalism really is the patriarchy, huh? Uh, yeah, I guess. I, uh, I hope that everyone loses. Uh, I hope everyone walks away just having a shit time at this. Uh, the company and the original art producer. Uh, I, I hate everyone in this story. Uh, so, <clears throat> for those who don't know... The uh, there's there's an iconic statue, uh, in like on on the uh, on like one of the Wall Street plazas. I actually I, I saw it once when I visited New York. Um, <clears throat> and it's a big bronze bowl, and it represents uh the bullishness of the markets. The uh, it's it's kind of like uh like the American uh sensibility that you know things. Are just gonna get better, you know. Fucking good old American confidence and optimism. Uh, that's uh, that's kind of what it represents. It's it's this big bowl, and <clears throat> then this uh, this uh, feminist artist lady made a bronze statue of a girl, a little girl, who is like triumphantly standing in front of the bowl, um, and. If you actually break it down, what does that represent? Well, it means that this this little girl is actually trying to stand up against things growing and getting better and being optimistic and having confidence. So, what is she really standing up against? Like she's she, it's this girl and she's 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 just trying to fucking face down the bull. And I I, I guess like I, I can see the feminist perspective because it's like oh you know even little girls are strong. They can stand up against a, a big, mighty bull. By the way, in reality, they can't. The bull would fucking murder the girl in a heartbeat. But, um, like, what what that piece actually does is it's saying, no, feminism is against optimism. It's against things getting better. Like, it's such a, it's such a, like, the artist clearly didn't even understand, like, the meaning of the statue to begin with. She just thought, oh, 
I want to put a little girl in front of this because that shows the strength of little. What the what the fuck? What the fuck? It's all dumb. The artist is dumb. The company that promoted her doing this is dumb. Everyone's dumb. Fuck these people. I hope that they all have a bad day. You know what else this says when you think about it? It's like, okay, we've got like a, a, a market represented by this mighty charging bull. And then a stupid fucking feminist twat gets in the way of it and fucks everything up. Kind of like women CEOs. Okay. I would like to commission a new uh, statue. I want someone to take away the little girl. And I want a, a bronze statue of Joe Biden put in its place. So like, and he's just standing there in the jetpack pose with a where am I look on his face. Right. And he's standing in opposition to the poll. He's going, no, we will not have a strong economy. I am Joe Biden, and I will not allow a strong economy to happen. I want that. I think that that would be a brilliant fucking art piece. <laughs> you know what? I, I would probably pay for that. I, let's start a GoFundMe to make that happen. Oh, absolutely, dude. I'll, I'll, I'll pitch in $100, no doubt. Oh, and you, you know what? We could leave the little girl there, and we could put Joe Biden behind her sniffing her hair. <laughs> That's even better. I love it, yes. That's that's what we need. <laughs> Is that part shampoo? Ah, no, that's uh, no, it's it's uh, it's Olay. Or, <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, yeah. Well, I I hope I hope everyone has a bad time with that. Uh, <clears throat> uh, okay. Yeah, maybe maybe we can we can touch on a on a, a couple uh philosophical things here. So, um. Okay. One uh, uh, one idea that I that I had uh, was that so um, nature exists uh, kind of as a as a uh, uh, not as a result but as like an addendum to entropy because things tend to flow from a uh, from an ordered to a disordered state and in that flow is where you can extract work and that is exactly where um nature exists like you can you can imagine that like uh like nature is almost like this uh like this this convoluted network that gets energy from uh highly ordered highly ordered to less ordered and um whereas entropy is just kind of completely random it 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 is a um actually entropy itself uh is an emergent property of random interactions. But whereas entropy itself is uh, entirely random, <clears throat> um, nature has this uh, this weird ability that it, it tends to produce better odds than pure random. Um, so it's like, it's like if you were to go to Vegas and one casino is entropy. And you, you roll a die, and if it's one to three, you lose all your money. And if it's four to six, you double your money. And it's just it, it's a completely fair casino, but it's entirely random. And then there's another casino. And this other casino, uh, actually, it's it's you you roll a, a, a 20-sided die, and um, if it's nine through 20, you win. And if it's one through eight, you lose. So you, like, it's still, like, you still uh, have, like, a... Like, it's still kind of, uh, like, you can still definitely lose, but you have better than 50-50 odds to win. 
And that is basically how I would envision um, uh, the process by which Darwinism works, because it is a thing that uh, actively tries to continue its own existence. Uh, so <clears throat> betting on on the course of of nature is just always better odds than betting on um the random course of entropy uh that is super duper abstract i'm not sure if that made total sense i'm not even sure that's uh like a completely well-formed idea uh it just that is a thought that i had i was just thinking that it's not entirely fleshed out but it's just uh something that i wanted to uh, maybe try to put out there. Uh, what do you think, Breaker? Is that is that a, a dumb thought, or a, or an or, or a or a big brain thought, or just a, a an okay thought? <clears throat> well, or or you, you don't you don't have to respond to me at all, Breaker. That's that's fine as well. Ah. I fucking I was freaking muted. I forgot to mute. Um, um, I was thinking about that in. Uh, it seems strange to me that the universe itself, holistically speaking, is trending toward greater entropy over time, but then there's like this contravening force that seems to trend toward more order, and that seems to be what's driving Darwinism. But it's weird that it doesn't. <clears throat> It doesn't seem to be in step with like what the rest of the universe is naturally doing over time. It seems to be this additional emergent property within the universe that's kind of fighting back in the other direction. I would actually say that it's it's not. Um, I don't think that nature actually tries to build order. Uh, but nature also doesn't try to build chaos. Um, it builds emergent properties, which are this thing that is in between ordering chaos. Uh, so, like, if you think about the brain, it is not entirely ordered. It's not like a crystalline structure that is just, like, you know, repeated um, uh, uh, atoms that are just lined up in a lattice. But also, it's not completely chaotic like a, like a diffuse gas. It is somewhere in between. And that is actually what nature is able to grow. It doesn't grow order, and it doesn't grow chaos either. It grows something else. I remember we've been talking about this over the past several days and the like the fractal nature of the universe. Remember when we were talking about that there seems to be like the driving force in evolution is usually some like discrete part of something will go wrong, but then evolution will kind of build around that like defective zone and it will create this more complex emergent system around that, like the human eye, for example, where there's technically a blind spot in the middle of it, and your neural cortex has to compensate, <clears throat> and you have to have a bigger neural cortex than a squid would, because a squid's eye doesn't have that blind spot. So technically, the human eye in this emergent evolution process, having this blind spot in it, probably spurred on the co-evolution of the visual cortex to constantly be compensating for that, which led to a bigger visual cortex and more abstract thinking abilities in humans overall, all because of a defective eye. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, we, uh, yeah, we have been talking about this the last couple of days. So, um, uh, the, uh, 
the the quote unquote defect actually stimulates a whole new, uh, I guess, all, like a whole new structure, a whole new process to emerge to compensate for this defect. But there's actually opportunity in this new thing that has been made. So uh, the other example uh, that I think uh, I, I, for, I forget who who suggested this, uh, but the other example would be. Um, so mankind, more or less, is the only animal that understands that it's going to die. Uh, there may be a few edge cases, but for the most part, it seems as though uh, humanity is the only animal that understands its own mortality. Every man knows that he is going to die someday. A cat, a cat does not know that it's going to die. A cat is born, it assumes that it will live uh, basically indefinitely. Uh, it doesn't know that it's going to die. Now, uh, when you are um, a phenotype that is aware of its own mortality, that can actually cause problems, because then maybe you slip into uh, nihilism or depression or something else. But in order to compensate for this, uh, it seems as though um, religion was a thing that evolved. And... Uh, the uh, and and I think I think that mostly it, it did seem to compensate uh, very well for this. Uh, it makes people less uh, scared of death. Uh, and personally, as an atheist, God damn it, I wish that I believed in an afterlife because uh, it would it would just it would make my life uh, more uh, happy. I think, uh, but I don't, and it's unfortunate. But anyway, but because religion was invented, well, hell, religion. Um, and like uh, burial practices and like honoring the dead, these uh, events actually occurred prior to civilization. So it's in it, like it's entirely possible. In fact, I would say probable that um, this uh, this spirituality, this this religiosity of humans, might have played a significant role in the initial development of civilization to begin with. Uh, because if if you're going to build a civilization, you have to trust people that you may have never even met. And so how do you actually trust people that uh, in the wild you would otherwise want to murder? Well, maybe it's because you share a similar god. And so you know that, okay, more or less, I don't know this guy exactly, but we both uh, believe in Sky Daddy, so uh, I, I'll just assume that he's he's trustworthy. So it's like, it's that, that, one, that one problem that exists in the phenotype that human beings are aware of their death that could have actually spurred on the fact that we do have uh, civilization. And it's kind of like a roundabout, rude Goldberg machine kind of mechanism, but that sort of thing can happen. Like, that's a thing that happens all the time in nature. Nature is filled with rude Gold Goldberg mechanisms. Hmm. So it seems to me like there has to be some... It for a functional universe to develop into the what we see before us now, there has to be some type of like fundamental imbalance that can cause this spiraling movement that can lead to these emergent fractal processes. Like something has to be a bit off kilter. Like if it was perfectly balanced, everything would just remain uniform forever. And nothing would change. Uh, there's just enough imperfection in the system to allow for change over time. I think I think I, I might actually agree because if you look at the shark, 
um, that's a creature that basically hasn't evolved for the last, like, uh, what would it be, like, 200, 300 million years? Um, I mean, it's, it's like, it, it you know, it, 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 undergoes, it undergoes speciation. Like, you have, like, the great white and the hammerhead and the tiger and the whale shark. Like, they're... they're sometimes they grow and shrink depending on the, the food and the environment and how much they can eat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But for the most part, the shark is is it's kind of like a living fossil. It's it's just it's always been a shark and it keeps doing shark things because shark is actually incredibly effective predator in ocean. Uh that's just what shark does. Uh and shark has not had to evolve uh that much because unnecessary. Shark very good. So um yeah, it's actually I I, I guess the 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 overall idea here is that it's it's the imperfections in the system that can actually lead to large revolutionary changes. I think the Madagascar hissing cockroach is another one of those things that's been around for millions of years, relatively unchanged. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my knowledge on cockroaches isn't that good, so I'll just take your word for that one. Yeah. And also the thing about the shark, we were talking about this a few days ago, it, it came up with this novel evolutionary adaptation where instead of like having conventional teeth made of bone, it just utilized its scales to make teeth that are constantly growing back over and over, and it outcompeted the bony tooth fish because if you're a bony tooth fish and you break a tooth, you're screwed. But if you're a shark, you can afford to rip out all kinds of freaking teeth because they're going to grow back. Yeah, shark is like honey badger. Badger, it don't give a shit. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that's that's one of those things where it's like, it's like this small little change, like this little change where like it was able to basically grow scales inside of its mouth. This tiny little change basically made it uh, completely take over the ecosystem. And that's crazy because like it's just it's this one thing. Just oh, uh, like just grow scales, but they're in your mouth now. And and also they're sharp. And that's it. That's all you need. What a novel adaptation. Uh or like um uh here's a here's another interesting one. So the uh the mammalian placenta is actually viral in origin. Um the uh the uh the placenta is an organ that uh, develops only when a woman is pregnant, and it basically acts as um, uh, kind of like a like a filter between the mom and and the fetus. Uh, it's almost like it's almost like the 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 uh, the liver between the mom and the fetus. Kind of, it's kind of like like another liver thing, but. Uh, this ended up uh, being incredibly beneficial, and now um, all placental mammals have this, which is most mammals. Uh, but its 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 origin is really interesting because it was actually viral in origin. A virus, basically, what happened was a virus infected like some uh, like rat looking mammal, uh, and it caused like this weird like tumor to develop, uh, and it inserted itself into the DNA which viruses do, and it ended up being useful, which is, like, one of the most, like, amazing stories in evolution, where, 
this viral DNA inserted itself and now it's just part of the human genome and it ended up being incredibly useful. Like that's, uh, that's just an amazing um, thing that evolution can just do. Uh, and <clears throat> if you think about it in that sense, um, actually the virus that caused placenta, it actually had sex with mammals. Like it, it literally, uh, well, not literally, it metaphorically had sex with mammals to produce placental mammals. Mm. So that's like interspecies reproduction event. Dude, that's in that, a weird time. That's not just interspecies, that's fucking interkingdom. Dang. So it seems that that type of adaptation can be useful in certain contexts, it seems. I wonder, like, technically when you think about it, our t entire multicellular body is made up of basically a bunch of microorganisms that kind of foregone their own immediate reproduction in a weird type of way. Because your heart cell can't live outside of your heart. It's a naked warrior. It's so hyper-specialized that it can only exist in your heart. So the human heart cell's entire evolutionary lineage is completely dependent on the continued existence of humans. Because without humans, there will be no more human heart cells. Uh, yeah, that's the... Uh... Uh, that's the origin of uh, multi multicellularity, um, which uh, happened shortly after uh, eukaryotes hit the scene. Like it was like we did we did we did bacteria for like uh, a, like three billion years, and then almost as soon as we got eukaryotes, we we then also got multicellularity, um, which is interesting. I've never actually thought about why that is, but it it, it happened pretty shortly after, and. Um, yeah, the, the idea behind multicellularity is that you're going to have cells that do not reproduce, but they all share the same DNA, so it's in all of the cells' interest to work together uh, to make sure that the, uh, that the cells that do reproduce um, do so successfully. <clears throat> and uh, uh, that is also uh, why cancer happens. It's because sometimes uh, one of your cells will decide... I don't want to be part of this um, this uh, this this commune anymore. I want to set off on my own. I'm gonna I'm gonna grow a whole bunch of my own babies, and that's how you get a tumor. I'm 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 a tumor. Oh oh oh! I'm a tumor. I am I am Jack's colon. I get cancer. I kill Jack. <laughs> Yay. But it's also strange because I know we've talked about this a lot before, but technically our entire body is sort of made up of like micro-revolutionary phenotypes in all different directions that in and of themselves don't reproduce but continue on reproducing through us. So they've ceded their direct reproductive capacity to the overall organism that is the human well, that's just that's specialization of cells. There's no um, uh, there's no revolutionary phenotype happening. Because mm. the uh, I mean, 
I I guess that maybe. No, yeah, 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 no, not, not, I don't think that's a thing. I remember your like grabby aliens hypothesis that we were talking about, and basically, I brought up to you a criticism of that—that that the only way that would work is if like you had your like AI probes that would take the genetic material throughout the universe. You would have to like delegate some type of specialist life form, like written into the genetic code that that probe was carrying. To eventually evolve some type of life form able of realize being smart enough to realize the probes existed and to like basically it would start as them worshiping them as gods and wanting to repair and renew them for the next journey. And that would be part of that life cycle if you did grabby aliens throughout the universe. You would have to have like all the life forms would basically just be in an ultimate sense, subservient to the probe. Or you would have to have some species that was guaranteed to evolve out of that genetic matter that would do that. And it would have to be intelligent enough to do it. So intelligent life, at least, would become just a revolutionary phenotype co-replicator. And all the other life that you seeded onto these planets wouldn't be intelligent life. So, uh, right, yeah, we, uh, we did have this uh, conversation. So, um... Uh, to to maybe explain this a little bit better to the audience, uh, this is uh, it's this is basically panspermia, but with uh, some extra steps. Uh, the idea is that you would, if you were like an advanced alien civilization, what you would do is you would send out a probe, and it would find uh, a habitable planet. It would then seed life onto the planet, and then uh, after life. I guess, got intelligent enough to do technology, then somehow the probe would then, like, influence the intelligent life to try to make more probes and and send out more of these probes. So it's like, it's like, it's like, uh, uh, it's like, I, I forget the name of it. It's like the, the, the infinitely replicating probe, except instead of it replicating itself, it has basically a, like a four billion year life cycle where uh eventually it gets the species the intelligent species on the planet to replicate itself uh i i don't think that this is uh a thing because number one it sounds very inefficient and number two um uh we certainly were not a result of this because uh the universe is too young for that to really have occurred the the universe is like 14 billion years old so like even even if even if someone invented like one of these probes that that like did its thing in this way um it, it you could only have like three life cycles of this happening since the beginning of the first probe and uh like uh, clearly like like if 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 that was a thing, then we would be, like, only, like, maybe a few star systems away from the very first probe, and, uh, we don't seem to see any, um, like, uh, Kardashev three-scale civilizations, uh, that are, like, within the nearest 17 star systems. So, I don't agree with this idea, but this is an idea that, uh, that you have, Breaker. Well, if you want to get, like, really, like, aliens, woo, Art Bell, coast-to-coast -coast AM conspiratorial about it, 
you could say it's like, oh, things like Amuamua, Nibiru, Boate's Void, those might be the aliens. Ooh, ah, but yeah, that kind of gets into some uh, conspiratorial stuff. And that's, those are more of like faith-based belief systems when you really think of it, like the alien dudes. I mean, they're they're very oddly shaped asteroids, like I can agree with that, but um, nothing about them seems like they're alien in origin. Like, uh, like if, if, like, let's say that, that there was like a, that it's a ship and it's shaped like a rock, but they, I don't know, they, they took a, an asteroid, they hollowed it out, maybe they fucking took a few asteroids, fucking glued them together, made a ship out of it, then they live inside the asteroid, like, they would give off um, very distinct infrared signatures because there would be shit going on inside the asteroid. Like they're not—they're not generational ships. I think that they're—I think they're just weirdly shaped asteroids. I think that that's all they are. Uh, there's no there's no weird infrared radiation. There's no like um, uh, like like radio waves coming from them. Like uh, microwaves. Like there's nothing. It just seems to be in an in inert, oddly shaped rock. Yeah, that would make sense. By the way, we're talking about the probes and stuff. Um, there is actually a pop culture example of this, in case you never realized it, but it's more mimetic than genetic, and it's 2001 A Space Odyssey by Stanley Kubrick. That's technically what the monolith is. If you never, if it never clicked as to what the fuck the monolith was, that's what it is. Um, I want to, uh, I want to, I want to clearly state that, uh, uh, although they were released around the same time, and although there was collaboration, um, it was 2001 A Space Odyssey, the book by Arthur C. Clarke, and then it well, was um, the one by Stanley Kubrick, the, the yeah, film. There you go. But, I need to read that book now that you mention it. Uh, you know, to be honest, I don't think it's that... It's one of those cases where... The book is about equal to the movie. I read 2001 A Space Odyssey, and then actually Arthur C. Clarke released, like, three more after it. It was, like, 2061 A Space Odyssey, and then it was, like, 2090 uh, uh, A Space Odyssey or something. And then he had 3001 A Space Odyssey. I got halfway through 2061 A Space Odyssey, and I was like, yeah, this isn't that good. And I, I just I put it down. Hmm. Uh, I know the books I'm going to be reading now, but, uh, yeah. Um... At least in the cinematic version, the entire movie itself is, in a way, portrayed to be self-aware. And the characters within the movie, you can slowly notice them becoming self-aware that they exist in this, like, mimetic pocket universe inside of the movie. Because there's this one scene where he's eating at a dinner table in his living room, and... I think he knocks the plate off the side of the table or something. He goes to reach for it. And then right before his fingers reach down, his fingers like instinctively draw back as though something hot or something dangerous is there. And it's right before his fingers touch the black bar on the movie screen. So he has seen the freaking cinema screen and he's now aware that he's in the movie. Oh, is that is that okay? So, um, this is the scene where he's in the white room after he went into the uh, into the black hole, right? Yeah, there's a lot of different crazy snapshot flashes back to back in that scene, but the one where he's eating is the one I'm talking about. 
Right. Yeah. I I I've seen the film like I think like three times now. Uh and I still I still have no fucking clue uh like what is happening in that in that scene. You know what? You know what might actually be productive? Uh we could we could actually do a um uh uh an after show um of uh 2001 a space odyssey like that that might actually uh, it might be interesting we it, we could see uh the different conclusions that we come to from it hmm. i'd have to rewatch it again before we do that but that could be a thing that we do yeah eh, might be fun i mean unless uh maybe there's a maybe there's other better films i you know what? Honestly, I I understand like Stanley Kubrick was was like I guess like a genius filmmaker. I didn't like Two Thousand and One: A Space Odyssey that much. I just I it was a it was a decent film. Stanley Kubrick is like really he has like his own background motivation in a lot of the movies that you can notice because in every Stanley Kubrick movie there's always seven diamonds. Like why are there seven diamonds? in all of these movies and i think that has to do that has something to do with uh renee gunan's fractal geometry or something like that i would have to look a lot more into it but there's a lot of theories as to why there are these seven floating diamonds everywhere in 2001 a space odyssey it's made blatantly obvious because as he's going through like the mind warp lsd trip scene you can actually see the seven diamonds floating around oh and they're absolutely Extract like uh, hyper cubes, hyper shapes, multi-dimensional, and they're just floating and shifting and bending into each other. I guess that's not a thing I've ever noticed, but uh, I'm sure uh, I'm sure that has uh, uh, some uh, some deep meaning to Stanley Kubrick and why he would uh, include that. I I have no idea what that means, but I'm I'm sure it's significant to Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. In case no one noticed yet, like, uh, the monolith is basically a stand-in for the audience, because at the start of the movie, you see the monkey looking at it, and they turn their head to the side, because the monolith is vertical instead of horizontal. But later on, you see it horizontal, and it's floating through space, and it just perfectly meshes into the movie screen. Uh... Well, I guess that that is one interpretation that maybe it's trying to like break the fourth wall or whatever. But uh, I always saw it as um, like the the monolith is the spark that gave apes intelligence, and that is what allowed them to become human. Yeah, like kind of like what we've been talking about with the probes. <laughs> Uh, the probes that I do not agree with you on, but yes, it is a, a an idea. Uh, I, I mean, I think that uh, uh, if you actually like, if you were an advanced, if you were an advanced civilization and you ended up creating uh, a self replicating probe, um, I think that the the if you really wanted to do that, you just make a, a probe that is effectively a paperclip, like a like a universal paperclip maximizer, where it just makes as many copies of itself as it can and just fucking seeds the universe. Um, with more copies of itself, like you know, actually, if I if if I you couldn't do that because you couldn't go ahead. Uh, no, no, actually, you're right because bit rot, right? We were discussing this bit rot. The bit rot eventually makes it so that it's... yeah, no, but the bit rot actually acts as well, a it... as as a mutation um source, so they would evolve in a Darwinian pattern. Yeah, well. 
I see where you're going, but here's the thing. There's like two different elements of it. The bit rot is only one side of it, and you're right. That could be kind of mitigated with a Darwinian process. The problem is, if you make it a paperclip maximizer with a totalizing and discrete singular ultimate goal in mind, what will happen is it will eventually reach too high a threshold of energy equilibrium. And what happens when you remove competition from an environment like, even life form themselves start to become, they start to de-evolve and become stupider and stop reproducing, just like the Mouse Utopia experiment, and then they all go extinct. Okay, so this is what I'm thinking. Uh, I think that if, if I were a uh, highly advanced civilization, I think that I would never, ever, ever release uh, self-replicating probes into the universe. Because even if you program them perfectly, bit rot can and will occur. Mutations in the code will occur. Most of those mutations will make the um, the the self-replicating probes basically not work. But some of those mutations may cause the probes to want to make even more copies of themselves. And yeah, if, if that ever in process, right? If that ever ever occurs then it will rapidly, rapidly evolve to just paperclip maximizer, um, find a star system, uh, harness all of the useful matter, send out more probes, continue. Um, you might end up with like uh, one species of probe going to war with another species of probe over trying to gather, gather as much matter as it can to make more copies of itself. But in the end, what you've done is created a paperclip maximizer, that is dangerous for the entire galaxy. Ergo, you just never fucking do it. Kind of like how, uh, when it comes to humans and um, germline genetic engineering, you just never fucking do it. Because it's always a bad idea. It never goes well. You have small rewards versus infinite amount of risk. Uh, you just, you would never want that to happen. So, uh, maybe... Maybe human beings will be smart enough to uh, never do germline genetic engineering, and maybe human beings will also be smart enough to never produce self-replicating space probes. I think about that, though, and even if one... It would kind of be like engineering the ultimate invasive species, but enough years, like we're talking on cosmic timescales of evolution and speciation events and ultimately competition it would kind of like eventually settle into its own ecosphere and natural equilibrium to where there's so many other probes to compete with i need to dedicate more resources to fending off and fighting and possibly even consuming the other probes as food sources kind of like how herbivores consume plants because plants contain like edible compounds that they've already eaten so that's why you don't see animals for the most part eating dirt they eat the plants instead because something else already ate it uh right like uh so theoretically you could have like one species of probe that evolves to um be really good at uh like solar power they just they're really good at extracting energy from the sun um, and then maybe another species comes along and it just grazes on that because it needs uh, the the power and the material uh, of of the of the of the solar power probe. Yeah, I mean, you know what? That, that you you could actually end up with a, with an entire ecosystem. Um, 
a, a galactic ecosystem of of space probes. Uh, I don't know. Sound... Or like the plant probes are the ones that suck up the suns and galaxies and stuff for power sources. But then these other like herbivorous probes eat those, and then there's carnivorous probes that eat those, and it's a whole another parallel cosmic scale food chain. <laughs> Yeah, it very well could be. Um, maybe that's a, uh, you know, maybe maybe that's the direction that life is evolving towards. But uh, I don't know. Sounds dangerous. I think best to avoid it because it also has the capacity to become a paperclip well, maximizer. Speaking, Fuck that. Uh, speaking of Boutte's void, which I brought back before, it's like this tens of thousands of light years hole that there's only one or two galaxies in this massive dark dead spot in the universe and scientists have always wondered like why is that one spot part of the universe just this big black void and there's two galaxies in it uh like how did that happen so uh number one um the void is much larger than tens of thousands of light years uh it is yeah i think you're right uh because i think our, our 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 galaxy is much bigger than tens of thousands of light years so a void yeah. like that is probably like God knows how big. Millions upon millions of light years. Uh, but also, interesting thing, you know, the um, the Milky Way galaxy is actually kind of in a void itself. Mm. Like, uh, what's the nearest uh, What's the nearest galaxy? Uh, Andromeda. Um, yeah. And that's it. We, we, there are some dwarf galaxies, and then there's the Milky Way and Andromeda. And other than that, uh, actually, we're, we're pretty isolated. Actually, we are, like, these two galaxies that are right next to one another, but otherwise, there's no nearby galaxies. We're kind of in, in a, in a, um, in a, in a low galaxy area ourselves. You know that, wait a minute, I'm starting to think about that, and you know what, that might actually be... We might not fully comprehend as to why exactly it. I think it might have something to do with the radiation levels. But you might actually need to kind of be in a somewhat isolated galaxy with the... You couldn't probably... Life might not be able to evolve in a, like a super cluster of galaxies because of the high radiation. So you might have to have like an isolated galaxy. And within that isolated galaxy, a planet in the Goldilocks zone on top of that, which is even more astronomical as to why there's so little life in the universe. Yeah, yeah, I've thought about the same thing. What you're what you're postulating is that um, perhaps there is a Goldilocks zone when it comes to galaxy density, and um, yeah, uh, perhaps you actually need to have low galaxy density for life to evolve because life seems to take like at least four billion years to get from bacteria to intelligent life form, at least in the one instance, uh, the one data point that we have for life, and um, in uh, higher density uh, uh, galactic areas, you have uh, more galactic collisions. Uh, galaxies like smash into one another. Maybe that's bad for life. I could imagine that maybe that isn't the best thing for life to evolve. And so maybe it, it does need to um, be in a relatively isolated area. Uh, certainly possible. Yeah, it's something I've, I've thought about myself. Yeah. Mm. Very interesting. Oh, very interesting. <laughs> a perfect uh, uh, JFG impression. Um, all right, well, uh, I guess uh, we've hit uh, about the uh, the two-hour mark here. Um, unless uh, there was anything else that you wanted to discuss, uh, I guess we could we could leave it here uh, for this week. Hey, come on, man. 
America, hey, hey, what's that little girl doing over there standing in front of that bull? I better go investigate. Wait a minute. Her hair is, is calling to me. <laughs> ah! Uh, if, uh, if, if, if there is any interest in, in building the bronze Joe Biden statue to stand behind the bronze little girl that is standing in front of the bronze bull, um, if there's any interest at all, I'm actually very, I, 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 I would like to, to see that happen. I think that would be fucking brilliant. Uh, <laughs> uh, so who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe that'll maybe pick up some traction and become a meme. Uh, but uh, otherwise, um, I guess uh, that uh, that will be uh, us signing out. So uh, everyone have a good week. Um, we will uh, see you next time. Um, I suppose I should say this. Uh, be sure to like and subscribe. Really, really smash that like button. Um, and and the subscribe button. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and if you don't, if you don't smash the like and the subscribe. I'm gonna take you behind the woodshed and introduce you to Corn Pop. You don't, you don't want to meet Corn Pop. Uh, all right. So uh, with that, uh, goodbye, everyone. Later, Gators. Uh...